You can now take KRBN Internet you News Talk Radio with you on your mobile phone as we are making it easier We are listening to the great hosts here on KRBN, including our very own West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. It's free and available on Google Play. Just look for player.fm. That's player.fm and search for KRBN. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. And good afternoon, and welcome and to another edition of show. And we're having a little bit of an audio issue. And we're having a little bit of an audio issue. It's your microphone that's hot. Stop and your microphone Now everything's off. It, you're, you're lighting up when, it, when the you're, echoes You're off. lighting up when, it, when the echoes Somewhere you've got a live mic that's picking up the show. Somewhere you've got a live mic that's picking up the show. Up the because I when I had I turned off all our mics, I, I had turned off all our mics. In in are you, you all right? Mike? No, I say all my pots are, are zero. Yeah, okay. how about your your voice mic? Yeah, everything is zero. You, my mics are off. How am I hearing you then? How am I hearing you? Because I turn it on so I can respond to you. Okay, so that's weird that I'm still getting the echo. Okay, that's weird that I'm still getting the echo. Well, that's a, I've never heard anything like that. Well, that's a, I've never heard anything. Um, let's see if we can fix this. Um, let's see if we can fix this. I'm going to kill my speaker. I'm going to kill my speaker. All right, and that's certainly what my mic's picking up. And that's probably what my mic's picking up. Well, sorry for the temporary technical problems because we're coming coming to you live from beautiful downtown Jay's 
commissioner, so I didn't have her, so I didn't have like a legislature like a title. Title. So Jay is just fine with me. But Jay is just fine with me. Um, um, I'd like you kind of just. I'd like you kind of just talk a little bit professional quality. Professional quality. No, you want school up in Bend. No, you want Virginia. Have a PhD. Have a PhD. Degrees of Bend. Degrees of Bend. Maybe just a little bit about a little bit about what qualifies. What qualifies. Um, opinion. Educated opinions.
we don't so we don't back back seeing the blood in the water, seeing the agony of the whales dying, their babies around them, wives and daughters and all the rest of the rest. And, 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 and that, that, changed the world, changed, uh, that, that, that way. It took us five years in the end, but we stopped. Not happening today. The world's whales are now recovered very rapidly all over the place, especially the humpbacks and the blues and the size and the fins, which were the main target, and the sperm whales. All those big whales were being slaughtered into extinction by these huge factory feeds. Then we took on the fact that Canada was allowing the clubbing to death of 250,000 baby seals still nursing on their mothers on the ice floes off New And uh, we thought that was inhumane. I mean, we wouldn't do that to, to a bear, kill its cub while it's still nursing. 
just wouldn't do that. Mammals now, have a very strong uh, emotional relationship with their offspring when they're little and still nursing. And so we stopped that too, and it's not, not happening anymore. And then we then we then the turn the whole bunch of campaigns involving uh, trophy hunting, uh, the capture of live orc whales for circuses, we stopped that. Uh, but the, the next big one was toxic waste. Uh, the United States and Canada had both passed quite good air and water pollution legislation in the early 70s, but Europe had not. And it, it, even by the early 80s, uh, the rivers in Europe, the Rhine, the Elbe, the Thames, and, and many of the others were basically dead from factories dumping toxic waste underwater so no one could see what was happening. And we took a smaller boat and called it the river boat and went up the rivers with scuba divers and plugged the pipes underwater and backed the waste up into the factories and made, made news with that. And uh, that brought an end to that. Laws were passed. Today, those rivers are quite well and alive. There's salmon in the Thames, there's fishing all was been basically eliminated prior to that. Well, as time went on, Greenpeace grew from a small band of volunteers to what was basically a big business with a thousand employees, campaigns around the world, and a really big fundraising campaign. Pay those people every year. And we sort of transformed from a volunteer organization into a big business. And the, the, the the priorities change from that. In addition, for whatever reason, uh, when the wall came down, coincided with the left basically hijacking the environment because they didn't have any peacenik things to do. So they, uh, they took it over. And I found myself in a situation where, in addition to that, the environmental movement had drifted from having a quite a strong humanitarian aspect to save humans from all of nuclear war, et cetera. You have to care about people. Uh, to using the slogan, humans are the enemies of the earth. Humans are the enemies of nature. As if we were the only evil species on the planet. But like, I'm not a fire and brimstone guy. I, I, I like nature and I want us to be living in harmony with it, but I'm not going to go about thinking that humans are the only evil, bad species in the world. And that is what Greenpeace and the others began to project. And I see that even increasing today with this idea of ending the use of fossil fuels and ending the use of nitrogen fertilizers, or at least curtailing it very greatly, in the name of a climate emergency that doesn't actually exist. This is like a, 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 a sort of collective suicide or and you could almost see it as mass murder if it comes in, because it will result in massive death. The, the, the uh, fact is, is fossil fuels are more than 80% of the energy that makes this world turn around and makes our lives possible. And nitrogen fertilizer uh, is the result of a process, the Haber-Bosch process that was developed in the early 1900s that won two Nobel Prizes because it was so important. And it's, it's responsible for more than half the people alive on Earth today by combining nitrogen with natural gas. And in a way, the war on fertilizer and the war on plastic are both proxies for the war on fossil fuels. Because most of the fossil fuels are made, sorry, most of the plastics are made from fossil fuels, and all of the nitrogen fertilizer is made from natural gas and nitrogen in the atmosphere. Nitrogen is nearly 80%. After and carbon and oxygen, water, water. Well, oxygen, hydrogen are very plentiful water. We have a great yeah. After carbon, nitrogen is the most important most. element in our lives because all our amino acids and proteins, just a ton of molecules in our body, are nitrogen-based molecules. And the idea that we should think that nitrogen now is also bad. And, and the people who call carbon dioxide carbon to think it's bad. Anybody who calls Any carbon dioxide carbon dioxide immediately dismisses it's not being not because carbon dioxide. And, and it's like calling like call hydrogen. hydrogen. It, 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 
expands and contracts and grinds the food. And then all that's left is the beak. They retain the beak because it is a hard object that can be part of the grinding process. So birds will, uh, and, they, and they do this all their life after they come out of the nest. They never stop ingesting hard, appropriate sized objects to help digest their food. Now that's quite a bit different than feeding plastic bags to them and mistaking it for food. Nobody has any video or any photograph of any seabird feeding a plastic bag to its chicks. And then you go on the internet and you see all these staged photographs of baby uh, albatross cut open after they've died and they're just full of plastic. It's totally staged. There's no albatross chick that has that much plastic or those kinds of pieces of plastic. The, the adults are very selective in what they give them because they don't want to give them something that's going to cut their gizzard. And they don't want to give them something that's going to stuff up their digestive system and won't come out like a plastic bag. So there's, there's so much misinformation. But the most amazing fact about plastic in the ocean is that the Pacific garbage patch, twice the size of Texas, does not exist. There is no such thing. They just made it up. And if you go on the internet, you will see, if you, if you Google Pacific garbage patch images, you get things that have been painted onto the ocean. Or you get a photograph of the surface of the ocean covered by trash, and it says this is part of the Pacific garbage patch. But I noticed there's mountains in the background. Nobody else seemed to notice there are mountains in the background. It's actually the, the, the cities and towns that were wiped out by the Japanese tsunami killing 20,000 people. And I don't think it's appropriate to use that. I think it's actually really, really bad to use that and say that's part of the Pacific garbage patch. And on the other hand, there is one image taken by a German satellite from outer space, which shows a composite picture of the whole Pacific Ocean, which is from over the year, somewhere it's always cloudy. But they take pictures and put the pieces together that aren't cloudy and shut them to show the whole image. You can see the Hawaiian Islands. They are not twice the size of Texas. You cannot see any garbage patch because there isn't one. But when, when people confront me, they say, you know, it's only the clear plastic. That's why you can't see it. Well, the fact is clear plastic sinks. Yeah. And so they don't know that. But it, it, the thing I hear most often is how bad styrofoam is, and it's really the styrofoam beads that are forming the big island. Yeah, they're all floating. So that would, those are real high albedo. They would show up in the satellite. But they're, they're not there. Yeah. And the other thing they say is it's just below the surface as if every piece of plastic has a buoyancy compensation device on it. Because <laughs> plastic sort of either floats or sinks most of the time. Yeah. And, then, and then, their final defense, it's microplastic. Oh, it's invisible, you mean. Which brings me to the thesis of my recent book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom, which is that all the scare stories, including the polar bears going extinct, the coral reefs dying, uh, the radiation is going to kill us all from nuclear power. They are all based on things that are either invisible or remote. That's because, because no one can see it for themselves. And observation of something is the only way you know that it's true. But in this case, we're taking the word of people who are being paid billions of dollars to say these things. You see, the, the real money in climate science is going from politicians to scientists. 80% of the climate science is in universities. And most of the universities have actually just become big fundraising centers for climate change research. If you don't put climate change in your application for a government for research, you don't get any money. It's just the way it is these days. And so that, and so that one sees that. Suddenly, the scientist speaks up and says, it's absolutely true that the Earth is going to be on fire in 10 years, whatever they say. You know, it's so much extremist rhetoric. And then that gets picked up, and the megaphone for that is the media and the activists. Media getting a, a, a advertising revenue 
activists getting donations. And so it comes down to, with CO2, fossil fuels, you're driving down the highway in your SUV, you're afraid you're killing your grandchildren. That makes you guilty. And you open up your wallet and send Greenpeace a check as if they can do anything about it anyways. That is basically the uh, mechanism of this, what you might call a hoax or a scam uh, being perpetrated in the world that carbon dioxide is the control knob of global temperature and we will all fry soon if we don't stop putting it into the... It's, it's, it is not true uh, that, that we know that CO2 is the control knob of temperature. In fact, it's almost certainly not true that it is happening. Because if you look at the history of CO2 and temperature, there's no evidence that they are tightly connected in it. If anything, there's some evidence that CO2 concentration increases lag temperature. Precisely. This yeah. is during the major advances of the glaciers during the Pleistocene Ice Age. Most people think the Ice Age ended when the most recent glaciation event occurred. But that was the 40th. 45th, it's somewhere in there. That was the 40 or more glacial advances have occurred during the Pleistocene Ice Age. It is 2.6 million years since they say it started. It has been getting colder even up to the last one. So there's no indication that the Pleistocene is going anywhere. And, and so actually we are in a colder climate now on Earth than we had been for the previous 250. There's no ice on either pole. The North Pole didn't start to ice up until about 3 million years ago. The glaciation that occurred before this one was called the Karoo. It lasted from 350 to 250 million years ago. In other words, a 100 million year ice age. This one's only 2.6 million years old. We don't know how long it will last because the one before the Karoo was actually quite short. There was another one before that uh, that wasn't that long either. But this one's only 2.6 million years old, and, that, and only is the right word to use there in comparison to the other ice ages that have occurred. So we have no, no, no clue that the ice age isn't going to continue. It's much more likely that it will than it won't, given the pattern that has set in over the last 2.6 million years. And another fact is that these interglacial periods, which are approximately 100,000 years apart, we know, we know back with Antarctic ice cores that the glacial periods are 100,000 years, but we also know that the previous three were warmer than this one. So, and then we see the rise of CO2 during this interglacial period right now. The temperature hasn't followed it up. Just hasn't. So it would appear, in fact, that the rise in CO2 caused by the temperature and the decline in CO2 is then also caused by the temperature and that is these hundred years thousand year cycles aren't cycles of CO2 they are cycles of the gravitational effect of Jupiter a little bit of Saturn Mankovich cycles well known since 1920 and it would appear that the temperature is being affected by changes in the tilt and, and the orbit of the earth and that causes the oceans to warm and give off CO2, which make, makes it correlated with CO2. And for when the oceans cool, they absorb CO2. The oceans have 50 times as much CO2 as the atmosphere. So a 1% change in oceanic CO2 makes nearly a 50% change in atmospheric CO2. That's why the CO2 is going up and down in concert with the temperature. We know there's an average 800-year lag. But, but, the effect never comes before the cause. That's what they're telling us. That's what Al Gore was telling us. Basically, that the effect comes before the cause. That is not how it works. Yeah. And, yeah, and what's fascinating to me is with all these cycles, you know, whether it's Lankovich or solar cycles, and they create these periods of interglacial bands and, and, and treat I don't know any scientist that is willing to get out there and be able to say, I can absolutely tell you how much of the change in global temperature, 
you're going to have a whole other discussion about how do you measure global temperature, but how much of that change is man's effect versus the natural cycle. No one can separate those because no one can actually model that, predict it, do anything about it. So just even the idea that we that man may be having some effect or a slight effect, we have no idea how big a, a change that is. So that, that to me, that says all these modeling that says things are going to be, you know, another centigrade warmer in another 30 years. It's hard for me to buy it. Yeah, and many of these people assume that, that nature has stopped being the cause of warming and that, and that CO2 is doing it all. When, in fact, the, the warming we're in now began in 1700, like really 200 years before we started using fossil fuels to any extent. And it's only the last 120 years where you see an exponential rise in CO2 emissions. The temperature has continued to rise at exactly the same rate it was for the first 300 years, 200 years, 1700 to uh, 1800, 1900. I, I don't want to get too um, far into the weeds scientifically, but I've tried to explain this to some of my friends because really, I have the biggest problem with some of the climate. CO2 is not the most dominant greenhouse gas in our atmosphere. If, if you're aware of the absorption spectrum for that molecule, it has a couple of significant peaks where it absorbs red energy in the, in the light spectrum. And you see these huge peaks. One of them lines directly up with where water vapor does. By the way, water vapor absorbs this really wide spectrum of it. water vapor is, is 90 to 95% of the effect, CO2 might be 5%, but it could be even less. And that 5% can be overruled by any number of other natural factors. Yes. So it ends up being noise, basically. And, and it competes with itself for that bandwidth of infrared. So if you increase CO2, it's not an arithmetic change in climate. It, 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 it actually is a logarithmic decline, but it, you never, it never really has that big of an impact. Increasing CO2 doesn't arithmetically change temperature. It's, it's impossible to have such a small percentage of our atmosphere make up, and it's one of the, the least effective greenhouse gases because of that yes. overlap with, with, with water vapor or dominates CO2 in the atmosphere. And yeah, methane is a much better greenhouse gas. Yeah, it, so that, but there's so little of it. It's so little it's of way methane. Way smaller than CO2. Yeah. So it's, it, that's part of what, you know, how do they model it? And then the one thing I've always asked when everyone starts promoting models that are going to say that you know, there's this Prices coming up, the computer models show it. Now that's supposed that's that remote thing that we can't look at because no mm -hmm. one can see what the model, how the model was constructed. I always say, can you start that model at 1900? We've got CO2 atmospheric measurements about the, the, the century, and can it come up with 2000s climate? And there's not a single model that can go back and do that. Even starting in 1930. Well, the they, fact, can't, they can't go back and recreate the climate. If, they, if you can't sense, we call it sensitivity testing in, in computer modeling. I did a lot of computer modeling to do stormwater runoff you know, and various things. One of the things in developing those models is they would take a rainfall event that they had known hydrograph data for, the actual data for river, and they would calibrate them. They would run the model for the same event and then look at how the river gauges actually ran. And that's, you know, sensitivity testing and calibrating it. Ever heard of that really being done with climate models? Well, it can't be. <laughs> and the truth is uh, they are behaving as though computer models are a crystal ball, as if you can see the future through the and the problem with that is, yes, if you have a very simple system where everything is linear and you know all of the formulas, you can predict things 
to a certain extent. But when you have something so complicated as climate, which is as even the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel, Panel on Climate Change, has admitted that because climate is nonlinear, it's not in straight lines, it's multifactorial. In other words, there are many factors involved. And most importantly, it is chaotic. And actually, you can't see through chaos with anything, no formula, with no model. That's the definition of chaos, is you can't predict it. And they're pretending they can predict it. And that's why we can't predict the weather for more than is because it's chaotic. And this is, this is what's not being accepted. Except the IPCC said, gets down to the summary sentence. It says very clearly, because the climate is nonlinear, multifactorial, and chaotic, it is not possible to predict future climate states. Those are those exact words. It's in there. They keep sort of hiding it, or pretending it doesn't exist, because they don't. They know that that means they're phony in a way, because it's not possible to predict. The other thing about the IPCC is it is only responsible for, for studying the human effect on climate change. In other words, it's not required to look into the solar influence. Now, how can you have a, 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 an international body that is only allowed to look at human impacts, when in fact the natural impacts are far larger? I mean, if the sun is what makes this earth warm, in the first place, if it wasn't for the sun, it would be minus 274 or something. And, and, and in fact, if we didn't have an atmosphere that had water vapor in it to create some of that greenhouse effect, we wouldn't have the precise livable climate. We would vary like the moon Mars does from minus 200 in, in the dark and, and over 200 Fahrenheit in the, in the daytime. Yeah. You know, that's kind of what what keeps our, our, that whole greenhouse effect makes our livable. If it wasn't for carbon dioxide and water, they would like of course. And, and water plays an important role, both providing the water for life and in providing the greenhouse effect to make the earth warmer. Than Otherwise, we'd hope that the earth was closer to the sun if we didn't have any water in the atmosphere. But if we didn't have any water in the atmosphere, that would be because we didn't have any water in the oceans. And, and then it would be a dead planet. Yeah. So, we, we, you know, I'm not suggesting we should worship certain models, but we should celebrate them. And we should celebrate CO2 in, in number one. You know, saying CO2 is a pollutant when it's the absolute basis for all life is a travesty. It is, it is, it is a, a, a sin against scientific understanding, and yet they call themselves climate scientists. When there's no such thing, actually, because climate isn't, it's not just climate science. Climate is a, a huge interdisciplinary field involving about 20 other disciplines. So if you say you're a climate scientist, it's just because you're, I don't know, too proud of yourself or something. It, you can't be a climate scientist in that sense. You can be a meteorologist, and John Coleman, who founded the Weather Network, found himself in a situation where he was being run out of town not believing in CO2 is the control knob of the temperature. He knows that's not true. And so do most meteorologists, but a lot of them won't speak up because they've got jobs. And in fact, the, the CO2 coalition of which I'm a director, most of the members are either retired or in positions like myself where they're not susceptible to I'm a, I'm a, I'm a lone, lone wolf here, uh, and I like it that. No one can tell me that I can't say what I believe. And although I have been banned from LinkedIn, which really surprised me. Like three months after I join it, and I'm forming professional connections with people, and I put out a, a, an email uh, on the climate issue in which I challenge a certain point. And right away, I get a blank screen saying, you have been temporarily suspended. Temporarily at this point is about two months. And, and they say they'd get back to me when they've been able to have time to look at my record or whatever. 
And I don't even know what I did that they don't like. They won't tell you yeah. what you said that they well, don't like. Yeah, it's kind of the, the Orwell 1984 sort of thing. It's, there's silence in voices and, and changing meaning of words and everything else. And then they're making up things. Yes. You know, and and you know, if you remember you know, 1984, they were always at war with somebody. You know, they were just told they were at war. They didn't actually see the war. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, that what we're what we're being told, you know, instead of being at war with, you know, some bizarre nation, you know, the, the North Atlantic Treaty, whatever, you know, whatever nation or something that they made they're making up in well nineteen four. Now it's climate. We're at war with you know, CO two and climate change and yes. and petroleum industry. So I wanna just pause for a minute and remind folks, um, you're listening or watching the Bose Nose Show. And I'm here with Dr. Patrick Moore, one of the co-founders of Greenpeace. And he will be available in a town hall format tomorrow night at Springfield High School from 6.30 to 8.30. And that is a open to the public free event. Doors open at six o'clock. So get there early if you wanna get a good close seat. Um, I believe you're gonna take questions from the audience. And yes, we're going to talk about the whole shtick. Everything is open for question. Uh, we want to bring people's concerns out, their, with their beliefs out. We want to have a conversation in which people are able to express their opinions and then other people can respond to them. At the beginning, we'll have individual students asking me questions and then we'll open it up to the whole floor. Um, you know, one thing I'd, I'd like everybody to understand is that, I, I might have mentioned this a little bit earlier, but don't ever believe anybody who calls CO2 carbon. CO2 is not carbon. If you're a scientifically oriented person, you can't call CO2 carbon. They're, what they're doing when they say it's carbon, they're make, wanting you to associate it with soot, carbon black, when in fact CO2 is invisible. And back to my thesis, the problem with invisible things is it's easy for people to make up stories about them that you can't verify for yourself with your own observation. And that's why CO2 from fossil fuels and radiation from nuclear energy are so easy to make up a story about. And just think for a minute that there are 96 nuclear plants running 24-7 across the United States, and no one has ever even been injured by one never mind kill. People point to Chernobyl. That was the only reactor that ever killed people, and it was a stupid design that the Russians made during the Cold War when they took their plutonium weapons production reactors and cookie-cuttered them all over former Soviet Union and in Russia. And they built a reactor that, that was capable of actually being an atomic bomb. And, and, and it, it didn't happen during normal operating, normal operating procedures. That day, a group of scientists from Nuclear Central in Moscow came to Chernobyl, where they took one of the four reactors there and said, we're going to do this experiment, but we have to ask the operators to shut off the safety systems so they won't interfere with the experiment. And eight seconds, it blew up and caused all this terrible, uh, basically, propaganda against nuclear power because of one nuclear station. It did result in the end in killing something like 78 people, but almost all of them were the firefighters that spent 10 days trying to put the fire out from the carbon moderator that was in the center of this reactor. It was uh, a complete mess, and it should never have happened. Three Mile Island, however, was, was a nothing burger. They made a big movie about the world dying because of it, but it didn't. And Fukushima actually did not kill anyone from radiation. Two engineers died in the tsunami. Nobody died from the radiation. And we, we, sh we should know that because it, it was a bad accident. It was the result of sloppy engineering by the Japanese and also a really dumb uh, management of the aftermath. Those are long stories. They're in my book, Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom, available on Amazon and 2,500 positive reviews, and it's, it's been selling very well because it covers all these issues of coral reefs and polar bears and 
plastic in the ocean and ocean acidification, which is a complete fabrication, the oceans can never become acidic under any circumstances, yet they still push this thing. And it, the, the, the fact is ocean acidification is also invisible because it's supposedly caused by carbon dioxide. And so the, tell me a, a doomsday story where the average person can verify for themselves whether it's true or not. I, I tell you, you can't, because that's what they pick, is stuff that you can't verify. Most definitely. And <clears throat> what's interesting is these doomsday stories are steering policy, and even here locally, um, we have a city that is preparing to ban natural gas in any new construction. Yes. So, so because natural gas, you know, has, you know, generate CO2 in the atmosphere, and that's a bad thing. I tell you that this policy will result in the use of more natural gas. I've explained that to you. And then you know the reason is because the natural gas heaters are 90% efficient. Whereas when you make electricity with natural gas, which they're going to have to keep doing, because the wind and solar is only available a third of the time, and they're usually backed up with natural gas. So, at least in many parts of the world. So, if you use natural gas to make the electricity, you're only about 50% efficient there. And then you go to the baseboard heater where you lose another percentage of the efficiency that the electricity comes in. And with your stove, when you use natural gas directly, you're getting, again, a very high efficiency. Whereas, if you have to make those elements hot with electricity, you're having a lower level of efficiency combined with the low level of efficiency of the gas plant itself. So it's it's absolutely counterproductive to ban gas coming into What we really should be doing worldwide is building 4,000 more nuclear reactors over the next 30 to 40 years, and it should be a, a, a program that just it goes forward. That's the ambition. It's to replace fossil fuels not because fossil fuels are harmful, but because fossil fuels are a precious, limited resource that certain technologies need. Cannot be used. You can't use nuclear energy to run a semi-tractor trailer. You can't use it for big farm equipment, big mine equipment. And, but, but right now we're using fossil fuel energy to run buildings. Anything stationary, like a building or a steel plant, a cement plant or a glass works, Anything that's stationary can be electrified energy. Trains, all the trains can be electrified. All the boats can run on nuclear. If a submarine can go underwater with 100 nuclear missiles for three months on nuclear propulsion, certainly oil tankers and cargo ships could do the same. So we can actually replace at least 50% of the fossil fuels in a very short number of decades, if that's what we decided to do. But if the Greens can take the so-called Greens, just as an add-on, green is not a scientific term. It has no technical definition, therefore it can be used for any fake story. And if, 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 we, if the Greens would stop opposing nuclear energy, we would have a path forward that would satisfy their agenda and the agenda of having a lot of energy to use. Because if all the cars go electric, and I know that's not going to be very useful when all the electric cars leave in a hurricane evacuation and 10 of them get their batteries discharged in the middle of the road. They can't go back and get a can of gas to get them started. What are they going to do? You know, there's a lot of scenarios where electric cars are going to be a problem rather than a solution. Uh, I'm not saying people shouldn't have electric cars, but they have to be very careful in how they use them, more so than with gas cars. If we go all electric with cars, we have to double the amount of electricity we produce. The other day, I understand that California, on a high demand day for electricity, after shutting down their gas, their, their coal plant, and refusing to replace it with a gas plant, shutting down one of their nuclear reactors, that on, on the other day, they had to tell people, to please don't charge your electric car now, because we don't have elect enough electricity. And they say they're going to have all the cars electric. That was three days after Governor Newsom announced that he was going to ban the sale of petroleum. Yes, by 2030. If, if that isn't the ultimate irony, yeah, or lesson, 
I don't know what is, but apparently they haven't learned from it quite yet. No, they don't seem to. And, you know, I, I didn't work on the electric side of, of the utility. I worked on the side, but I sat in the same room with the electrical and, and all that. Our grid in the U.S. is woefully underfunded and, and has some severe need um, upgrades and been a lot of deferred projects over the years. So as they want to add all this electric and don't allow gas to take up some of that load directly in the home, inefficiently put it over the grid, that grid is is, is eventually going to fail. Our, yeah. We don't, the transmission, we haven't, you know, how many new transmission lines are across miles of countryside. It probably it takes 15 years to get the permit. No? Yeah, yeah. So it just doesn't happen. So um, this, you know, panacea that electricity is somehow going to rescue climate-wise, it's actually going to cause a lot of problems. Let's watch Germany. It, it, it's only late September, and they're already shutting down steel plants and high-energy use factories. Yeah. And, and I, I think it's going to be a gong show. Yeah, and that's that's kind of what what happens without natural gas. And and I, I I'm glad you brought up the, the idea of nuclear. That was kind of where you know you started this talk on Greenpeace about how that's you know nuclear war, and that's how you got and the testing the atmospheric testing and various testing was how Greenpeace really got started. I really. I learned something, which you, know, you talk about lifelong learning. I didn't understand that because my age, I didn't post enough attention in fifth grade yeah. <laughs> and sixth grade to understand that. But by the time I got junior high, that's when I was hearing Greenpeace associated with the Save the Whale efforts. Well, it, that's yeah. when we became famous. Yeah. Truthfully, before that, our campaign against the United States and France was perceived as like we were a bunch of Russian leaders. Why aren't you over in Russia protesting? Because we don't want to be shot. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Just ask the people that were protesting um, the, the re implementation of the draft in Russia, uh, all got arrested. <laughs> There's no such thing as free speech and, and, and the right to assembly in Russia. No, it's quite a world we're into right now. See what happens. But I'm glad I lived in the era I did when still did have free speech, and I'm managing to maintain a fair amount of it. Oh, as, 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 as an independent person, it's easier than if you're dependent on situation or some higher. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it, what's fortunate about being an elected official is the only people that can fire me are my electorate. Precisely. So, yeah. so um, and now I'm a lame duck, so I don't even have that. They, I guess they could run a recall campaign. I think I kept enough of my constituents happy. Never felt a threat of recall, um, which allowed me a lot of leeway, and I kind of become known as the person that speaks out sometimes. And, and, and votes, on, you know, one vote against something that somebody else votes for. And I just I can't bury my head and kind of say that's a great thing, you know. Well, congratulations on surviving through this political. Not an easy thing to do. Yeah, so, and and I utilize the Bose Nose Show as one of the ways I can get my speech. And I allow people to call in any time. And, and we are running right up on the on the hour here. So I just want to real quick before we go, remind folks if if this piques your interest, you can get two hours tomorrow evening of Dr. Patrick Moore, co-founder of Greenpeace at Springfield High School from 6.30, Springfield High School Auditorium, thank you, from 6.30 to 8.30 tomorrow evening, doors open at 6 o'clock. It is a free and open to the public event. And if you're a member of 350 Eugene uh, and one of these folks that, that disagrees with everything we were talking about here, I want you to come there and respectfully ask your questions and have a debate with Dr. Moore. That's really 
what we ought, you know, everybody talks about how we're becoming such an uncivil society and so polarized. We need to be able to talk and have open debate and discuss the science. So this is your opportunity, whether you, you support Dr. Moore's views or you, you don't, come to Springfield High School Auditorium, 6.30 tomorrow night. Doors open at 6. It's free. Um, I, you know, I hope that they try and get the, the people that are doubters at the head of the line for the microphone. And, uh, you know, kind of like Lars Larson does, you know, his, his you know, naysayers go to the head of the line. So um, I'm sure you'll get an opportunity um, and should be a great event. So again, 6.30 Springfield High School Auditorium, Dr. Patrick Moore, co-founder of Green. Dr. Moore, I really want to thank you for being on the coach. Um, I apologize for some of the early technical issues, trying an experiment with two cameras, and it just didn't work. It took up all the bandwidth of the Wi-Fi, and then we were having echo issues. Got it all figured out, but I just want to say we'll be back next week at our usual time, you know, 4 o'clock on Wednesday with the Bose No Show. Then we'll be coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Thank you and have a great week. should be clear my computer's ignoring me <laughs>